you know, he took a little bit of Chuck Berry, a little bit of the four freshmen, put them together, and made this industry. And then one day, on an airplane, on a concert tour, he just lost it. He just couldn't do it anymore. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Sail On Podcast. This is Wyatt here in Nashville, Tennessee. As always, I'm here with Jason. Hey, what's up, everyone? And we've got a really action-packed episode today. Thanks for all the feedback on our Today Part 1 episode. We just hit a milestone. We just passed our one-year mark um, last week, so that's pretty exciting. We are super thankful to you guys for listening and we've gotten over 30,000 downloads so that's amazing and I never thought that you know this little idea would turn into something like that but really thankful um, we're both super stoked to still be doing it and to have people that are on the other side that are listening and, and feeding back and uh, we've been able to meet a few of you guys out on the road and we met um, someone in Charleston that was a listener named David. So thank you very much, David, for listening and coming out to see us. We just had our last few shows of the year with our tribute group, and they were really fun, and we've got a little time off. So we're both going to focus on some other things and uh, catch up with real life and enjoy the holidays and all that fun stuff. So we're going to do a few more episodes of this podcast in the meantime. Um, And today... We're going to catch up on a couple voicemails. The first one being from Corey Milano. Hey guys. Hi Wyatt. Hi Jason. My name's Corey Milano. I'm calling from the glorious San Fernando Valley. I just wanted to say how much I love uh, Salon podcast. It's just so wonderful. Um, I started listening to the Beach Boys after in 1988 or so after I saw a little film called Flight of the Navigator and I heard I Get Around and I was just blown away. I asked my dad, what is this? And he was like, well, let me show you. And from then on, I remember listening to Pet Sounds um, on the way to hockey practice and just asking to play it over and over again. And uh, that really got to come full circle back in you know, uh, 2005 when we got to see Brian perform Smile. Um, just a really special experience to share with my dad and uh, yeah I just want to call and tell you guys how much I've been enjoying the show I just got all caught up with the Al Jardine sound and audio episode so wonderful Uh, really cool stuff Um, yeah my favorite one of my favorite songs is uh, with me tonight and uh, just love the show guys and uh, I'll be calling again Okay. Bye. Awesome that you got hooked on the Beach Boys through Flight of the Navigator. I remember how much fun it was hearing those songs in that movie. I liked that movie a lot when I was younger. And I certainly was like, sweet, they've got some Beach Boys in this. It was perfect when they're flying around to I Get Around when he's in the spaceship. Pretty great. <laughs> yeah. How's this? 
that's not music. Try another station. to see Brian do Smile was like, you know, one of my favorite concerts of all time, of course. And it was quite an otherworldly experience. So yeah, they really great. Thanks for sharing that with us, Corey. Thank you for writing, Corey. I'm a big fan of the Flight of the Navigator. It was super whimsical and fun when I was a kid. And it's also fun that it was uh, Pee Wee Herman as the voice of the alien spacecraft. And uh he goes into the Pee Wee Herman voice at one point when they're kind of tripping out and <laughs> it's pretty wild, but, um, yeah, thanks for writing, man. Thanks for listening. Uh, moving on. We've got a, another voicemail from our good buddy, Chuck Hayes. Jason and Wyatt, Chuck Hayes here in Southern California. I am driving down Hawthorne Boulevard at this moment and uh, thinking of your great podcast and all the great information you put out regarding Beach Boys today. And I was thinking back to the Shindig episode, April 1965. I was in third grade, and all of a sudden it opened with Benny Wilson singing Do You Want to Dance? The energy, the fun, Southern California back in the 60s. And you know, the Beach Boy cheerleaders get knocked a lot, but the Beach Boys have always been around beautiful ladies. and. That night on Shindig was no exception. Uh, did you notice the piano break with the great Billy Preston, hands only? I hope all is well. Keep up the good work, safe travels, and uh, keep the summer alive, man. Have a great one. Chuck, it's always great to hear from you. I, too, love that it was Billy Preston that they cut to, which is pretty incredible, you know. He was sitting in with the Shindig band for that particular performance, so pretty awesome. And I always love hearing about your many uh, journeys through Southern California. You make me jealous constantly. Yeah, thanks, Chuck. We always love hearing from you. We'll talk to you very soon, I'm sure. Um, also, uh, just last week, Jason was fortunate enough to see the Beach Boys here in Nashville. What did you think, Jay? Well, you know, it's this only the second time I've seen the Mike Love Beach Boys. Um, I don't really count the 2012 reunion because uh, that was everybody. But um, it was pretty great. Got to see him at the Ryman Auditorium here in Nashville. And they had none other than uh, Mr. Stamos with them, uh, much to my wife's delight. Um, <laughs> uh, they were... Uh, they were really good, you know? It was really cool to hear. They got to do some different stuff that you wouldn't expect necessarily. Some album cuts. They did Good to My Baby, and they did... What was the other one that really stuck out? They did The Ballad of Old Betsy, which was really cool. That's rad. Um, I think, Yeah, I think they've been doing that for a while. Um, the band sounded really good. Uh, they did some new Mike Love Christmas stuff, which was interesting, and they definitely unleashed the love which I don't know if I loved that, <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but regardless of those moments, uh, you know, Mike continues to deliver 
You know, I, I'm certain he has a lot of detractors out there, but man, the guy still can sing and he really brings it. And Bruce was the hardest working man up there, to be honest with you that night. His, uh, he was really carrying the load harmony wise. He was really putting the glue together. And as someone, and I know Wyatt understands this, as someone who sings harmonies in different bands, it's really important to have that guy who's kind of gluing it all together, who's kind of your constant. Um, so he definitely was doing that. And it was great to hear him do Disney Girls as well. So it was a lot of fun. I'd say the Mike Love Band is a great concert for any fan of any age of the Beach Boys, whether you're a hardcore, you know, person like me who's really into every little bit of the band's catalog, or if you're just kind of a casual fan, it's great for both. So um, it was a lot of fun. Well, I have some important questions that I was saving for you. Um did uh, Bruce have shorts on for this show? He did not. Oh, bummer. And did was there any like sound effects and like folly? They had one time, actually. They only did it once. <laughs> I, I had been critical in the past of too many cheese ball sound effects coming from the keyboard <laughs> from a previous a previous show that I'd seen because... Let's be honest, folks. If you want to go see your favorite rock band, let's just hear the music. We don't need, you know, strange chicanery on stage. We just, I mean, we don't. That's, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm a terrible person for thinking that, but I'm sticking with it. Uh, they did have one little cheese ball moment of that. But truly, I will say to their credit, they really focused on the songs for the evening. They played a lot of music, so they didn't really have a lot of time for goofiness. If any of you guys are going out to see Mike's Beach Boys or Brian Wilson's band this holiday season, let us know how it was and what you thought about the set list and the band and all that fun stuff. Uh, I'm excited to get into today's topic, um, which is continuing the discussion of the Today album and um, subsequently the band's touring and um, what was going on with them in their personal lives. So, we left off last time with the Beach Boys leaving for their first European tour on November 1st, 1964. When they got to LAX, um, they were all kind of huddled up waiting to board the plane. And uh, Mike said to Brian, we're going to have a ball on this trip, you and me. And Marilyn kind of got jealous and, you know, defensive. And when she was, you know, only 17, she was... You know, not excited about them leaving and going to a foreign country with millions of girls waiting to scream and mob them. Um, but she said, I hope you guys enjoy yourselves because I'm going to have a good time too. Ooh. And something inside Brian snapped. And Brian uh, boarded the plane kind of with this weird, anxious ball in his stomach. And uh, he sent a telegram to Marilyn from the plane cockpit marked urgent and it said please wait for my call i love you brian and marilyn said she couldn't believe it she almost fainted um i think you know they were they had been together for a little while but i think brian had never realized how much he was afraid to lose her until that moment and um that compiled with all the other anxiety and and tension in his life was just kind of starting to take its toll as soon as he landed, he gave Marilyn a call and he said, all of a sudden I realize how much I love you and we have to get married when I get back. 
And Marilyn agreed, but she said she had to get permission from her parents. And uh, Brian was calling her every day, several times. He racked up a $3,000 phone bill from long distance while they were over in Europe. And uh, the band was doing all these TV appearances in London, and they didn't actually play an actual concert in England while they were there, which is kind of crazy. They were just doing all these radio and TV appearances. And they were there for about a week, and they were staying at this really nice hotel, and they were just living it up, man. Dennis was spending tons of money on clothing. Um, Brian was eating whatever he wanted, man. They were just having this ball over there. and Sounds like a sail-on trip. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they were just, you know, on the top of the world. Um, they did a uh, TV show called Ready, Steady, Go on November 6th. And they did I Get Around. And to me, more notably, they did When I Grew Up to Be a Man. They had a funny little false start at the intro, um, which I love. It kind of, you know, humanizes the band. Um, because what a hard song to just like start singing you know it's just a crazy you know a crazy chord at the beginning and you know they're in front of all these screaming teenagers and it's it was kind of funny and sweet to see them kind of mess up and kind of laugh about it and just go right back into the song seeing the interviews with them while they were in London and you know talking about how cool it was and how the food was kind of weird and different to them but people were really nice at a press conference Brian was asked how he felt about being regarded as the originator of the surf music scene and Brian replied we don't play surfing music we're tired of being labeled as the originators of the surfing sound we just produce a sound that the teens dig and that can be applied to anything the surfing theme has its run of course cars are finished now too and even hondas are over we're just going to stay on the life of the social teenager so i felt like that was a a interesting take on (laughs) that question because they had just put out you know little honda like (laughs) the previous month so it's like you know you're obviously you know still part of that scene and you're heavily involved in the music scene that is you know coming from America with just about surfing cars and, and teenage romance. But I know that he personally was trying to distance himself from that and trying to move on to more personal themes and do something that was a little more um, soulful and real. And I, I love that, that quote. I think, you know, Brian really mentally had gone somewhere else, probably earlier part of the year. And so he was just waiting to say that. I think, I think, you know, he still was doing that other stuff on those, like on All Summer Long in 64 because it just fit the theme. But I mean, I think I've read a lot of stuff that kind of points to around that time. He definitely mentally was moving forward, which we'll see with all the next recordings. And, you know, if you think about the singles of the time, other than, I mean, I guess I get around still a car song, but then when you're moving to like 
you know, stuff that's coming up. Like when I grew up to be a man into all the dance songs, we're going to see here shortly. He definitely switched gears and was like, okay, we've got to get away from being a one trick pony with our couple of themes and we got to expand our horizon. Yeah, for sure. And, um, we're going to see a lot of that coming up here in this episode. After London, they made their way through France, Italy, Germany, Denmark, and Switzerland over the next 12 days. On November 9th, they released the Beach Boys Christmas album, as well as the Man With All The Toys single. And uh, while they were in Germany, Mike got into a little trouble. And uh, this is going to be a new segment that I like to call Storytime with Cousin Mike. I walked into a bar one night and a pretty hostess invited me to buy her champagne, implying that she would come back to my hotel. When we finished the bottle, I left the bar and waited for her on the median outside. A Mercedes drove up and the very same hostess jumped in. I assumed the driver was her boyfriend and I'd been conned out of the champagne. The car stopped near where I was standing or maybe they didn't see me, as I was dressed in a black overcoat, black pants, black hat, and black gloves. Angry, I walked over to the car, made a fist with my glove hand, and smashed in the driver's window. That didn't go over too well. The guy behind the wheel pulled out a Luger, pointed it at me, and said, son of a bitch, you're not in Texas, anymore. I thought it might have been over for me right then, but he flagged down a cop. I spent a few hours in a German jail, was bailed out by our road manager, and had to pay for the broken window. But that was better than leaving in a coffin. The switchblade and the butterfly. Thank you very much, Mike, for that thrilling tale of um, late night debauchery. It was a whirlwind time for the Beach Boys. They were being pretty tame, but they did get into a little bit of trouble, as you do when you're on tour and you're loaded with money and can get away with most anything. But moving right along, while they were in Copenhagen, Brian Wilson wrote a brand new song called Kiss Me Baby which we're going to get into in a minute. On their way back, they lost several bags of luggage that had tons of expensive gifts that they bought for their friends and family. So that was a big bummer, but otherwise they had a great trip. Uh, When they got back, Brian insisted that he and Marilyn be married right away. So they decided to go to Vegas and he called up Jane and Dean's manager, Lou Adler, to make arrangements for them in a hotel So, Brian and Marilyn grabbed a flight to Vegas along with Marilyn's sister, Diane, her mother, May, 
and her cousin Ginger. So they get to Vegas and Brian realizes that he doesn't have his birth certificate and there's no way they can get married. He's freaking out. So he calls Carl and Dennis who are back home to go to their old house to look for it. And they go back and they can't find it. They like turn the house upside down and Brian gets so mad that he smashes the glass in a payphone and Marilyn was just crying and it was kind of a rough night for them. But they headed back and they had plans to get married later on. So on December 7th, they got married at an L.A. courthouse. Fine move. So about that time, Brian met a assistant at William Morris named Lauren Schwartz, who introduced him to marijuana. He was one of the first drainers that Marilyn always referred to, you know, coming into Brian's home and bringing him drugs and turning him on to all this crazy stuff like metaphysical literature and spiritual stuff Um, it kind of blew Brian's mind you know he had to find a new place where the kids are hip and I guess this was pretty much it Um, the physical and emotional stress that Brian was going through was was uh, subsided by the marijuana so it was actually a really helpful way for him to relax and uh, he also met a few people at Lauren's house he would have these parties and they would smoke weed and eat snack cakes the parties included (laughs) (laughs) it's true uh the parties included members of the birds david crosby and roger mcguinn also a young session musician named van dyke parks and a ambitious young jingle writer named tony asher boom um so (laughs) moving on let's talk a little bit about dennis he was spending a ton of money i think he claimed that in 1964 he spent thirty thousand dollars on clothes (laughs) that's pretty great and uh something i can relate to personally um i haven't spent quite that much money but i do love clothes dennis started dating carol friedman who was working this late night burger spot that dennis always went to after studio sessions she had an infant son that was rumored to be fathered by jim morrison although she denied it but she and her son um ended up moving in with dennis dennis fell in love with both of them he he really like took to her son and and actually they had a really good relationship for a while and uh, he had to keep her a secret from murray for the longest time because Murray disapproved of you know living together before wedlock so he kind of he told his mom and told the boys but that was a big deal for him and I know Dennis always wanted to impress his dad and they had a really strained relationship but I know Dennis really cared about what his dad thought of him and and the girls that he chose so I thought that was an interesting fact yeah I didn't really I never really thought about it that way interesting on December 14th the boys did the Shindig TV show. Um, they did a few songs. They opened up with Dance, Dance, Dance. Then they also did Little St. Nick, Monster Mash, Papa Umau Mau, and Johnny B. Good. So I thought that was just such a bizarre group of songs to do on <laughs> the Shindig I mean, TV Monster, show. Monster Mash, as we know, uh, <clears throat> Monster Mash is a song for all seasons. You know, people knew those songs, so it was probably just um, an easy way to go. And if they were going to try and do When I Grow Up to Be a Man, they could have had another one of those disastrous starts, and they didn't want to risk that. So moving on, on December 16th, Brian brought the Wrecking Crew in to Western Recorders to do the song that he wrote while he was in Copenhagen called Kiss Me Baby.
It's a beautiful track. Uh, one of my favorite tracking sessions of all the Beach Boys' career. I think the the band that they had for this was pretty great. It was pretty much the standard Wrecking Crew guys, you know, Hal Blaine and Carol Kay, Ray Pullman, Leon Russell. They just nailed it. They had great horn sounds and the mix was spectacular. Great echo on this track. Great guitar playing. Just a stellar, stellar track. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorites. I mean, the the complexity of the vocals is what drew me in the very first time I ever heard it. It's a major jump forward in their sound. The Wrecking Crew with the Phil Spector touches, but the Brian Wilson sweetness approach. I don't know, it's pretty knockout. I know this is one of Mike Love's favorite songs, one of his proudest achievements on stuff he did with Brian, because he talks about it a lot. Yeah, the vocals are spectacular. I love the doubled vocal at the beginning. you know, Mike and Brian kind of sing in unison on the verses, and then it splits off, and Brian has this, you know, amazing falsetto pre-chorus. And um, just the little interesting minor chords and kind of interweaving, you know, accidental notes. I just love it. Um, and, and the chorus is just huge, and the ending is great, how they just kind of keep building. And um, it's just such an emotional song, too. You can really tell Brian was going through a lot emotionally and was putting a lot of that into this song. I give this song a 9 out of 10. I think it's spectacular. I'll go nine out of ten as well. It's hard, it's hard to beat this one. Really, I mean, I like I said a minute ago, it's very Brian and Mike personality. I mean, a lot of Brian's melancholy, but you can really kind of pick up on you know this is kind of sincere Mike vocal delivery and lyrics. So it's kind of you know one of their best collaborations. On December 21st, the band was set to play some more dates in uh, the southern and midwestern U.S. So they were flying out to Houston, and at the airport, Brian thought that Mike and Marilyn were staring at each other and kind of got paranoid that Marilyn was in love with Mike, and he got extremely jealous, and it was completely bizarre because Marilyn said, like, if she was going to be you know, having a crush on anybody in the band, it definitely wouldn't be Mike Love. But on the airplane, Brian looked over at Al and said, I'm about to crack. I'm going to lose it. Al tried to calm him down. He said, you're fine, Brian. Just just relax. Brian began to cry, and then he ended up screaming into the pillow as he fell onto the floor. And the whole plane was watching as he had this crazy panic attack. Stewardess came over and asked what was wrong, and he just kept saying, she doesn't love me. She doesn't love me. And the boys were embarrassed and also worried about Brian and 
and they they eventually got him to calm down and got him to Houston. Brian pulled himself together enough to play the gig. Afterwards, he flew home and he had his mom come pick him up. She asked where he wanted to go, to his place or hers, and she had a new home because, you know, if you remember her and Murray kind of split up and were living in two separate houses. But he said he didn't want to go to either. He wanted to go to their old home. And they went to the old deserted house that they still owned in Hawthorne, and they sat on Brian's empty floor and talked, and Brian just kind of let everything out to his mom. It's pretty crazy to think about, man. Like, I mean, this story's been told many different times by many different people, whatever the case. I know some people thought that this was maybe Brian's way of just getting out of playing shows. Um, But I think uh, Mike or Al said that Brian wouldn't even eat the meal on the plane. And that's how they knew that he was seriously freaking out. (laughs) Because if there's one thing that Brian never skipped, it was a meal. You know, when you read it and you think about it, you kind of see, you know, some of it is like typical young romance, jealousy, insecurity situations. But I think that the intensity of those feelings tapped into a side of Brian that just kind of did crack, like he said. And, you know, now he was trying out drugs and obviously he had pressures of being a big time musician that made a lot of money so yeah i mean he just his bucket got full so to speak yeah so they had to figure out what to do about these shows coming up they had several other dates um going through you know the new year that they had to figure out what to do and mike called up glenn campbell to fly out to texas to fill in for brian and finish up these dates and they originally thought that Brian would be back after this, but um, Glenn agreed. And he, even though he didn't know a lot of the words and was, you know, kind of flubbing some of the parts, he it didn't really matter because the screaming was so loud that no one could really hear what was going on. And um, I don't think half the people knew who he was anyway because he wasn't a big star back then. But they did about nine gigs between December twenty second and January third. They took a short break for Christmas, but we're back on the road right after that. Um, and between January 7th and 19th, they were back in the studios at Western and Gold Star with the Wrecking Crew recording the bulk of the Beach Boys Today album. So let's get into these tracks. The first track is Do You Want to Dance, a cover written by Bobby Freeman. This one was recorded at Gold Star with the Wrecking Crew and Carl was playing lead and rhythm guitar. Brian was playing grand piano. It's a huge track, very Spectre-esque. And we've got a great lead-off vocal from Dennis Wilson kicking off the album. Do you want to dance? Take two.
yeah i really like this one um i've always really enjoyed the energy and it's huge it's got way more reverb and way more power than probably any other beach boys track to this point yeah it's huge and dennis nails it um it was a cool choice to have him sing on this one uh they released it as a single on february 15th backed with please let me wonder it reached number 12 on the billboard hot 100 and it was the highest charting single that dennis ever sang very cool and uh a super cool idea to do this song, um, especially since they had another song about dancing on this album. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I give it a 7 out of 10. Yeah, um, I give it a 7 out of 10 as well. I'm agreeing with you because, I mean, his vocal is great and the track is just incredible. I mean, even just listening to the track without the vocal itself, it's really awesome. So. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with this. It's a great tune from 1964-65 here. I wanted to mention, they're getting really into using, you know, like woodblock and timpani and um, additional percussion, which is really cool. I mean, before they did a lot of um, tambourine and um, sleigh bells every now and then, but I think it's cool that they're utilizing even more percussion on, on this era. And obviously going forward, we'll see a lot of that. So second track on the record is Good to My Baby. 17. Good to my baby. Good to my baby. I dig this one a lot, man. I really like the guitar riff. It reminds me of the Beatles, like especially the sound of the riff. Um, maybe Jason has more info on like the guitars they were using at this time, but I, I know they were that Carl was a huge Beatles fan. I know that even coming back from from London, um, they were even more into the Beatles and excited about what the Beatles and other British bands were doing. So you can definitely hear a little bit of that coming into this record and these recording sessions. It's a really simple song. I mean, there's no guitar solo. There's just a break, kind of like following the chord progression. But uh, the lyrics are really cool. I think it's, you know, kind of, you know, another song that Brian wrote about proving himself to to Marilyn and like saying, look, you're the only one that I care about. And it's the same old, you know, group here. We've got the Wrecking Crew just crushing it. You know, I love the the piano and organ on this track and I love the little auto harp 
Um, and yeah, some more uh, percussion. The Congo drums are really great. And you got, of course, Carl playing both uh, lead and rhythm guitar, Brian playing piano, and uh, it's a great lead vocal by Brian. Just really dig this track. It's a 7 out of 10 for me. I'll go 6 out of 10 on this. I really like it. It's one that I don't come back to a lot, but I do really like it, and I think the riff is really strong. It's hard for me to not go 7, 8, 9 on everything on this record for the most part. Right. And I kind of give this one a 6 only because I guess it's just not as strong as some of the other stuff on the record. So I've got to, you know, not just be overly enthusiastic about everything. The next song on the record was actually started back during the Christmas album sessions in the summer of 64, but they never finished it until January. Uh, it's called Don't Hurt My Little Sister. Hey, buddy. Hey, I hate to say it, but my voice. Here we go. Go, go, go. This one has one of those kind of modular choruses where it keeps shifting keys kind of in whole steps, which we've seen a lot from Brian and we'll see a lot moving forward. Um, I love the main guitar riff on this one. Um, again, you got Carl playing guitar, Brian on piano. Dennis plays tambourine on this one. Al actually plays the bass on this track. And you've got a smaller group of Wrecking Crew musicians featuring Hal Blaine and uh, Ray Pullman and Tommy Tedesco. Uh, I'm a big fan of this track. I love the melody. It's a very punk rock song for being 1965. It's got some really cool chords in it, especially in the chorus, and um, I love the lyrics as well. It was originally uh, meant to be a song for Phil Spector and uh, the Ronettes, but uh, Phil um, changed it around a little bit and rewrote it as things are changing for the better uh it was recorded by darlene love and you can refer to our phil specter episode for more info on that but um you know i think mostly an innocent thing but i've heard that brian was also in love with all three of the Ravel sisters so take that as you will um, but i love this song a lot i really do it's a eight out of ten for me um, I think I will go 7 out of 10 on this. I think it's really great. The lyrics kind of have, they kind of allude to, you know, things you know about the Wilson and Ravel relationships. So that's pretty interesting. That's cool. Yeah, I'm going to go 7 out of 10. Love the guitar sounds. Love the whole feel of everything about it. That that intro really always just kind of uh, jumps out of my speakers, that opening guitar lick so 
I always really like that. And uh, that's what I always remember about that song, like just that killer guitar intro. Yeah, and again, there's no guitar solo. There's just like an instrumental break. I wonder if they had meant to put something there but ran out of time because it's it's unlike them to have such a bare bones instrumental break where um, there's really no counter melody or lead part at all. Yeah, it's, it does always feel like they forgot something, but then maybe they ran out of time. Uh, the next track is one everybody knows. It's uh, called Help Me Rhonda. is the original recording they did with a big group big horn section ukulele lots of percussion and uh it's a pretty big track and i think it's really great um they obviously re-recorded this track soon after for a single release um i do love al's vocal on it i do think the vocal arrangement on the single version is better but this is really great in its own right and I really thought it was strange that there's all these weird false fade-outs at the end. The song like keeps going in and out over kind of the last few refrains, and it just kind of throws me off. I'm like, what is the point here? <laughs> what are they trying to get at? Um, I, I, it's something that I don't remember hearing anywhere else in this form. Yeah, it's a weird choice. Um, maybe it was just kind of to make the little refrain over the end a little bit more interesting. But um, I think this is a 7 out of 10 for me. I think with those fade-outs, it's really interesting because he kind of doesn't revisit the same exact idea, but a similar thing later on with uh, Little Girl I Once Knew. So I think Brian maybe was just kind of like, hey, let's trick the listener (laughs) to an extent. Um, So I don't know. That's kind of a... It is kind of a weird thing. Yeah. This was the version that also ended up on the first pressing, anyway, of Endless Summer. Yeah. To be honest with you, I love the single so much, I almost always skip this when I'm listening to today, weirdly. I mean, I try not to skip around a lot when I listen to a full album, but sometimes I do. And so, I mean, this one's kind of a a 5 out of 10 for me. I think it's a great song. I'm not discounting the song, but I think they hadn't got it right. Al sounds really great, and, you know, not again, I hate to doubt Brian's arrangement, but I think he just didn't knock it out of the park until they did it again. And that's probably why they wanted to do it again. They probably knew this is a really killer song. We need to make it perfect. So, um, and I don't like the false fades and stuff it's distracting to me yeah um but i do like that this track has like more of a phil specter sound than the single that is very true which obviously i love that stuff so you know you kind of give and take on this version and to me it just doesn't 
it's not as great as the stuff that came right before it on the on this side of the album so it's it's hard for me to get really excited about this when i know there's a much better version out there yeah i I get what you're saying there for sure um it is a bigger band on this one which i do like um but it's not as powerful and it's not played and sung as well as the single version and there's something to be said about you know brian's ability to come back to a song and to stick with something or an, or an idea that he feels like is worth pursuing, but didn't quite get it right the first time. So yeah, but we'll get to the single version soon. We already talked about when I grew up to be a man and dance, dance, dance. Those are both on side one of this record as well. And side one is more of an up-tempo kind of classic beach voice feel um, with some more sophisticated songwriting, but um, you really see a cool duality here of side one and two being kind of two sides of the coin for Brian and also being a transition into a more adult, melancholy, um, personal style of songwriting. And the second side of this album starts off with an amazing ballad called Please Let Me Wonder. Okay, 23, Brian, 23. This was one of the songs that was said to be written right after he discovered marijuana, and it has a really great mood to it. You've got the Wrecking Crew, of course, on this track. Also, you've got Carl Wilson playing the lead guitar. Um, I think the track is incredible. The guitar lines in the verse, the counter melodies are beautiful. Um, and then also the killer organ sound and the percussion, the the vibraphone. I mean, it just all sounds amazing. Carol Kay's bass sounds incredible. Really cool chords, really great lyric in my opinion. I know some people have have kind of been, you know, up and down about the lyric because it's kind of wishy-washy, but I think that is what I like so much about it. It's That's how Brian was. I mean, he was like confident one moment and then scared of losing everything the next moment. And that up and down and that kind of duality of him and emotional state is what kind of drove this album. And uh, this is... Um, my favorite Beach Boys song, and I give it a 10 out of 10.
There it is. <laughs> there it is. Move. Yep. There it is. Um, <clears throat> man, Stone cold. Know, Stone cold says so. Dude, it's really, there's no debating. It's a 10. Come on. <laughs> yes. Do it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to even talk about it. Really. It's super good. <laughs> I mean, if, you, if you're a Beach Boys fan or even a music fan and you listen to this song and you're not blown away... Then you're soulless. I question most of your choices, maybe. I don't know. I mean, you don't have to agree with me that it's a t- that is a 10 out of 10, but you can agree with me that it's top tier. It's as good as anything Paul McCartney did. Anything as good as John Lennon or Burt Bacharach or Jimmy Webb or any of those giants. I mean... This is brilliance. It's a great song. I mean, I could talk about this song all day. Um, I mean, I haven't even mentioned, you know, how much I love the little solo section with the, you know, kind of <clears throat> Phil Spector-esque arrangement and big, huge reverb and, and the killer guitar tone they've got on that. I mean, everything about this song is perfect to me. I mean, it is just the pinnacle of music, in my opinion, and it's not the most sophisticated thing that Brian ever wrote by a long shot, but it's to me the perfect blend of the innocence, the wonder, the sadness, and the sophistication. And I think that's why it's so special to me. And I keep coming back to this song and I'll never, ever get sick of this song. Um, his lead vocal is amazing. The harmonies, I mean, just the, the little, just every little thing about it. I mean, I love Carl at the end saying, I love you. I mean, what a cool thing. Like, it's just such a, uh, it's just such a great song, man. I've got chills talking about it. It's so good. Well, it's, it's really a great song. I mean, we agree. It's like about, it's about as good as the Beach Boys get. This is a B-side of Do You Want to Dance? And it actually charted at 52 on the Hot 100. Very cool. Yeah, I, st- I heard it on radio. So sometimes. we should probably start playing that song soon. <laughs> yeah, well, we got to. We gotta work that out. You gotta put that through Congress. Gotta put that through Congress. That's right, Willie. Mike, Congress. I know, Mike, I know you're listening. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's the best joke anyway. we've ever told. Oh God. Um, yeah. So let's move on. I want to talk about that song another time somehow. Like we should do maybe an episode where we do some in-depth musical analysis, kind of some nerdy stuff. But um, let's not submit that yet because i'm not really sure if that's for everyone but what a great song please please jam that song if you never jam anything again just jam please let me wonder and you know maybe smoke some marijuana if that's your sort of thing and just chill out and get into it anyway moving on we've got the album version of i'm so young we've heard the preliminary version last time because they kind of did a version in the fall of 64 that they didn't love. So they redid it. This is a cover um, written by William H. Prez Tyus Jr. What a great name. And it's a very small group here. We've just got the Beach Boys plus Ron Swallow on tambourine. So we're back to the core, just the core group. Um, Obviously, Al on bass here, Mike singing uh, harmony vocals, Brian singing the lead, playing bass as well, playing Hammond, and according to the Craig Slowinski notes, he's playing percussion too. 
Um, uh, Carl played the rhythm and lead guitar and 12 string guitar and bass guitar. So they had three of the Beach Boys playing bass on this one, which I thought was awesome. Um, and then, of course, Dennis playing drums and singing harmonies too. Okay, Brian, what's up? Brian, remember you just went, ooh, and the other one had no. more impact. Let's try it. We can do it. it. Just good walking away from the mic every two minutes. Everybody takes off. Try it again. Why don't you go Come for on. Come on. Yeah, yeah, Brian. Right. There you go. Get on. Woo! Come on. Tighten up. I'm on. One, two, three. Woo! I have a girlfriend. She says. It's a really great track, man. It sounds way bigger than you would think just hearing that, but um, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, I love Brian's vocal most of all, and it really fits in with the theme of the second half, even though it's not um, an original song. It really is sweet, and I love kind of the, the ending part where you can really hear Dennis really thick in the harmonies, and you've got Mike doing the little bass part. That's really fantastic. I, I really love it. I think it might be one of my favorite covers the Beach Boys ever did. It's an 8 out of 10 for me. You know, I'm going to go 9 mm. out of 10. Even though it's a cover, it's it's really one of my all-time favorite recordings by, by any band ever. Love it. And that little break with the lead, like, um, like the uh, Dan Electro-type bass thing. I mean that that's perfect it's a really perfect recording it's a simple little song in terms of like chords or whatever but I I have a really tough time you know not hitting repeat 17 times when I listen to that song it's perfect for the record it's perfect for a Beach Boys sound it's it's 9 out of 10 for me I love it that's great drums are so killer on that oh man i think yeah. i think because it's stripped down they because they didn't have as much sound in the room they were able to you know capture some more detailed sounds that's why that slap back echo on that guitar is so cool on the overdub and the the drums are so cool sounding i mean i don't know it's i don't know i don't have much more to say other than it's super good the next track on the record is Kiss Me Baby, which we talked about. And uh, after that, we've got She Knows Me Too Well, which was recorded way back in the summer of 64. And we love that one. And then closing out 
the actual songs on the record. We've got In the Back of My Mind, another great ballad written by Brian um, and sung by Dennis and probably the most personal song that Brian wrote up to this point. I'm blessed with everything world to which a man can cling So happy times that I break out in tears In the back of my mind I still have my It reminds me of some of the other songs that Brian kind of gave Dennis to sing, like My Diane and I'll Bet He's Nice, to, to the point where I feel like Brian really trusts Dennis to deliver an emotional vocal to do justice to these personal, emotional, insecure moments in his life. Yeah, I think that he, in a way, also maybe didn't want to communicate some of this stuff with his voice on the recordings. I know that sounds weird, but, um, and it almost like, you know, Dennis's raw emotion would, like you were saying, would certainly deliver his message stronger. Um, plus how cool is it to have an early Dennis Wilson vocal that's on a ballad, you know? Uh never was finished but um dennis was originally gonna sing i just wasn't made for these times again like a really insecure personal brian song that um he kind of gave the reins to dennis and um the arrangement's great the strings are incredible i love the ending how it just kind of slowly falls apart and has a beautiful just overall vibe to it i'm a big fan so, I really love Carol Kay's bass playing as well. I should mention that. I think it's great. And I give it a 9 out of 10. It's really hard to argue with that 9 out of 10. I mean, I'm going to agree with you because, I mean, it's astounding. This is just like a mega leap forward. And this song definitely signifies things to come with like pet sounds leaning and all that kind of thing but also you kind of hear some of his classic you know for freshmen even though there's no harmonies on this like music of like a freshman thing or a sinatra thing creeping into their sound more and more so i mean i have nothing but great things to say about this song and you've said a lot of them and that meandering ending is always one of my favorite things because it's just like whoa that's just some wild stuff happening on the end of that. So, yeah, I love that song. I, it does remind me a little bit of um, a Frank Sinatra tune. You know, Brian was a big Frank fan. 
and would go on to do some other songs in that vein um, throughout his career. But yeah, it's a really fantastic song. Um, the 2012 stereo mix, um, I should mention, is the version with one vocal instead of two. So you guys check that one out, see what you think, compare it to the album version. But I know Brian was kind of frustrated with Dennis's vocal performance. Um, and I kind of see what he's coming from, but um, it's such a great song, man. I think um, probably, you know, really defines this album in a lot of ways. So we have one more track on this album, if you could even call it that, but it's a uh, spoken word track that the boys have been known to throw on the end of records. And this one's called Bull Session with the Big Daddy. And it's a scripted somewhat like just they're trying to be casual, but it's kind of a silly little conversation they have with uh, photographer and journalist Earl Leaf after their tour of England and um, Europe. Al's not even there, but he gets a writing credit on this song, which I thought was hilarious. So good for you, Al. Got to get paid. That's right. Um, So it's whatever. I mean, I wish, you know, in a perfect world, you know, you would have had um, another original song on here or, um, you know, just another great song that would fit the mood of the side too. But um, it is what it is. You know, they loved putting these little filler tracks on the end of records and I get it. But um, that really is the only thing that is a bummer about this record to me. And I'm kind of used to it. I grew up with this track and I actually listened to it a bunch when I was growing up because I thought it was cool to hear the Beach Boys talking, you know, and, and I was a when I was younger, like there just wasn't a whole lot to see. I had, I think, you know, the VHS of American Band that I watched. But, you know, before the Internet and before um, a lot of these biographies and documentaries came out there wasn't really much to to watch as far as like the beach boys just being candid so i got a kick out of it and it was fun trying to pick out who was saying what back in the day but yeah i mean it doesn't age well and i'm just kind of over it at this point i know it sounds crazy but every time i ever listened to it especially when i was a little bit younger i always just thought that the interviewer was mike love doing a deeper voice because that's what it sounds like (laughs) earl tree hi fig um, no, I mean, he, it just sounds like Mike loves goofy voice. Think about yeah. it. Yeah, no, it does. They may, Earl Leaf is fictional. I don't. I'm, I'm going to go with this. <laughs> okay, I mean, now that's that's one way to look at it. Um, <laughs> but he was supposed to be doing a Beach Boys documentary about their touring and stuff, but it never worked out. But he did take a bunch of pictures of them in, in Europe and did uh, some other pieces. I think he did like a piece on them in Teen Beat magazine in 1965, stuff like that. Um, he did a lot of work for other artists too. I know that, but, um, stay tuned for our Earl leaf episode coming up soon. Not really. I don't think so. Uh, (laughs) um, that means Mike, that means Mike love gets two episodes. Oh gosh. Every episode's a Mike love episode. What are you talking about? Mike love, not war. Mike love is the beach boys. Get with it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) um all right so let's talk about the album that came out on march 8th 1965 and it peaked (laughs) at number four on the billboard 200 they had a lot of albums peak at number four little deuce coop and uh all summer long but um what a great record definitely kind of riding the coattails of the success of several singles near the end of 64 and uh 
kind of an introduction to the new era of Brian Wilson songwriting. And I love the cover of this album where they're just kind of in the cheesy sweaters. <laughs> and uh, I love this record, man. It's for a while, it was my favorite Beach Boys record. I think throughout my teenage years, this was the one that I listened to the most. Such a great album. The The sequencing of the album is the first time, in my opinion, that they really figured it out. And they, they said, okay, let's make this into a statement instead of just a, a group of songs and a group of singles with filler tracks. Every song is, is really great. And um, with the exception of Bull Session with the Big Daddy, it's, um, in my opinion, one of the best albums ever made. And I give it a 9 out of 10. You know, it's super great. It's really, really tough to beat. I don't love that version of Help Me, Rhonda. And then obviously Bull Session with Big Daddy. If you split this record into two, I would say that side two was nine out of 10 and side one was eight out of 10. So I'll just average them out and we're not doing, you know, any decimal points here. So eight out of 10. Okay. So if you had to, let's say if you had to make a perfect version of this album, what if we replaced the Help Me Rhonda with the single version and then we replaced um, Bull Session with the Big Daddy with Guess I'm Dumb with the Beach Boys singing it. What would you say? Wouldn't that be pretty awesome? I mean, you put that on there. If you had the sing, so you're saying, let me recap this. You said the single version of Help Me Rhonda's on this and not the next record. Yeah. Or you're talking, okay. And then you have. Uh, Throw I mean, if, if you throw Guess I'm Dumb on the second side with Brian singing lead. I mean, it's like almost as good as Pet Sounds. Almost. Right. I think that's the ultimate kind of like dream version of this album. Um, I know there's some alternate albums floating around there that people have put together. If you could put together an alternate Beach Boys album um, of any sort, you know, just like what would your replacement tracks be? Um, write us in and tell us that would be a really cool topic of discussion. And speaking of discussion, um, I wanted to mention that, um, I made a little chat room on this app called discord for our podcast. And, uh, you should join in and check out what we're talking about and, and maybe start some new topics, but it is linked in our show notes. So check that out. I'm just sort of figuring out the app. So if it works, it works. If it doesn't, then we'll, scrap it but i think it would be a cool way to kind of talk to some of you guys directly and uh we've got a lot more fun stuff coming up on the show we're now available on spotify so if you just search sail on on spotify it'll come right up um so definitely check us out on there and um next episode we are going to be talking about a very tough conversation that the beach boys have during January 1965 and subsequently about a brand new member of the Beach Boys. I'm in. Well, good. I hope you guys are all in too. I hope everyone has a happy Thanksgiving and uh, yeah. Anything else, Jason? Just want to say thanks for a good year of supporting us on the podcast. It's been so much fun and it's always exciting to have a place to talk about my favorite music with my good buddy and that you guys like listening to it how cool 
and we're going to try and keep learning and growing and getting better. So check us out at sailonsounds.com and on Twitter at sailonsounds. And then send us an email, sailonpodcast at gmail.com. Catch us on that Discord app. There's a link in the notes. And send us a voicemail at 615-606-3887. Our intro and outro music is provided by the wonderful Will C at willcmusic.com. Until next time, hang on to your ego and sail on, sailors. Great time in Germany. What do you mean? What about Germany? I don't think Germany's this is the way to go a, about it, fellas. Yeah. I think we're making trying That's to push it. You're yeah. not supposed to look at the microphone. You're supposed to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. So you don't get the idea. This That's is what I'm saying. Why was everybody's making? There's no microphone there, right? Okay. Okay. So yeah. forget the microphone. Talk to him like you would if you knew him without the microphone. Right. right, right. See what I mean? It's hard to do. No, it's not hard to do.